0: So what's God said to us this morning already? There is a great cruise liner on its way, and that's His kingdom. Or well, big, big ship, wasn't it? A big passenger ship, yeah. With with the kingdom, it's coming, it's on its way, and the drawbridge is open, and He's coming through. Are you on it? Is the question, yeah? He said He's bringing His kingdom, He's bringing it in, and we all have a place to pay in that because then His kingdom is us. It's what we, it's what we're contracted to deliver as Christians, to bring his kingdom here. You'll see we are heading to the book of Haggai. That was your cue to start finding it in your Bible. You will need your Bible this morning um, or your fruit-based electronic device. Um, So, set off. We'll be there in a few moments. Okay, what else has God said this morning? He's got the storehouses already there for us. I didn't recognize the word that he used, but okay, the storehouses were there. Overflowing and ready, just to come to us, just just to land on us, if we but believe, if we but ask Him in faith, if we respond in obedience to that which He's asked us to do, the blessing is coming. Do you believe that? Because that's the deal. That's that's what you have for you as a Christian. It is not a bad life being a Christian when you realise it's not about pie in the sky when you die, but it's about you know. What is it? Steak on your plate while you wait. It's here and it's now. And it's the blessing that's here for you. Thank you, Father. We want you to unlock the storehouses. Not just because we're greedy, but because you want to bless us. And you want in the blessing of us to change us and make us more like you. But to do that, take your hands out of your pockets. Take your hands out of your pockets and get stuck in, which is the most ringing endorsement I could have had for what I'm going to share this morning, so thank you for that. <laughs> I've had the book of Haggai on my mind for quite some time. We're going to read through the entire book. I'm not you glad it's just Haggai and we're not doing Psalms. Um, we're going to go through the whole book this morning, Whistle Stop Tour. It's been very much on my mind, and it was quite interesting. I came down to the prayer meeting on, I think it was Saturday morning, and that was the reading, I think, in one of the daily notes was was Haggai as well. So uh, I must be listening right. That's fine. Have you found it yet? Cool. Let's just think about the context first of all, then. What's it all about? It occurs in 520 B.C., which, as you know, was just after the fall of the Babylonian Empire. You didn't know you're getting a history lesson today, but you are. So there is the Babylonian Empire. So on the left-hand side is the bit we know, we know and we love. That's the Israel bit. And over on the right-hand side is the rest of it, the Babylonian bit. And the, the colored bit is the empire because that's the bit that isn't desert. You know, the bit at the bottom is largely desert. So, okay, no, nobody lived there. Okay? So what happened, as you good Bible scholars will know, is that the children of Israel were taken into captivity from disobedience and taken from the Promised Land over into Babylon was also, also taken to Nineveh as well. Now that happened 70 years earlier and the Babylonian empire had now been taken over by the Persian empire the bit even more to the right hand side. And as part of that they were given permission to go back. So 18 years previously from when we're picking up the story this morning they started going back. And then the word that was used it was a remnant. It was a small number went back to the homeland. Okay? Now, initial enthusiasm, great, we're going home. Though to be fair, they've been in captivity for 70 years. Some had come. I think the majority must have been people who were born in captivity. But it was still going home, obviously, there. And led to them building homes and the rebuilding of the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Okay? And they laid the foundations of the temple. They relayed it. Amongst great celebration, and they celebrated the the Feast of Tabernacles. But, and this is the precursor to the book of Haggai, when opposition arose and hardship set in, work stopped. And the people began to just think of survival. So God had already worked a miracle. God had already said, you're going back you're going to re-establish yourself. Your time in the wilderness is over. And now is the time to get it all back. To, to, to get the repleving, to have it again. That which you lost, that which the locust has eaten, now is your time to get it all back. Not all went to get it. That's the first thing. Some did. And they did some work. They did some defensive work. They built the walls. They did some domestic work to so the homes, but they didn't follow through and complete God's work in the temple. Okay. So the mission was only half finished. Promise of prosperity and security that led them there was still a dream. And you know, in our Christian walk, there are times when. Lord leads us to take stock and say, you know, have a look at your life, it's not where I want you to be. Just have a look, have you got everything that's promised of you? Have you got all those things you've been dreaming of? Oh, actually, God, no, I haven't. And that's what the book of Haggai, it's a, it's a taking stock and saying, come on, get your hands out of your pockets, we need to finish the work. And I, I know that God has said that to me at times, and maybe he's saying that to many others you've been on the journey you've come back or whatever the context is and you've done something but actually you've got more to do god's never given up with us has he the task is never finished until you know your time is gone there is more to do i'm not talking about practical work necessarily though there's an element of that one Talking about spiritual work, I'm talking the dedication, I'm talking about the consecration that we have to have in our own lives to be able to do his work fully. So, enter, stage left, Haggai, A prophet that we know nothing about, other than he just arrived on the scene with a word from God. I guess they're the best sorts of prophets. (laughs) Imagine the courage of that. (laughs) I've got the word a word of God for you, and I'm going to deliver it to you. Okay. So we're going to look at five. Prophecies. That's all. Five prophecies. They say in presentation schools never tell people how many bullet points you've got because then people fall asleep waiting for number five. But you're in five today, all right? But we'll do it really quickly. Number one. So let's read Haggai 1 1 to 11. In the second year of Darius the king, that's the king of the Persian Empire that had let them return on the first day of the sixth month the word of the lord came to the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel governor of Judah and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest saying so first of all who's this prophecy to the governor and the high priest so put yourself in Haggai's shoes I've got a word from the Lord. Oh, that's fantastic. Who do you want me to give this word to? I want you to go and give it to the Prime Minister and the Archbishop of Canterbury. Or, you know, the, the head of the, of the, the, the high priest and the, and the governor. The political power and the religious power. That's courage, actually, isn't it? To go and deliver that word. Actually, it wasn't a word to the people then, was it? It was just to the leadership. I'll try not to get off tangent too often, so I'll never get back to this. Right, verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses whilst the house lies desolate? hope you're following the sub-clauses there, you know. Basically saying the people think it's okay to live in the house, but is it okay? Is it okay? when the house of God isn't finished. That's kind of what you're saying, if you'd like me to paraphrase. Verse five. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much, but you harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into the purse with holes. Does it feel like that sometimes? I'm doing all the work, but there must be a hole in the bottom of my bank account. Right, I'm eating, but I'm never satisfied. I've never, we've never got everything. Haggai is saying, "Let's take stock and let's look at the circumstances. This is the reality you're living in." Thus says the Lord of hosts, verse seven. Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, on all of the labor of your hands. If it feels as though there's a hole in the bottom of the purse, maybe God has called a drought on the work of your hands. That's a painful thing to admit. If he does, it's because he's saying, Stop! you've forgotten about me. You're too focused on living that you've missed me. Sometimes the lack of blessing that we might believe we're in is purely because we're not listening to the person who says, hang about, hang about, hang about. Let's get our priorities right and then we'll have the blessing, okay? That is God's right and privilege in all of our lives. I want to bless you once I know that you love me. Once I know you're totally committed to me, I'll give you everything. The deal with God is always that way around. It's never, you bless me, God, and I'll put some more money in the offering. He's not the slightest interested. He says, I want to give you more money, more resources, more relationships, more satisfaction, more completion in your life, more closure than you could ever dream of. But it starts with you, says God. You've got to put it right. And that's all Haggai is doing here. Have a look at the reality. Now, building a temple is not going to help the harvest, is it? It's not going to actually make things change. But Haggai is saying, no, no, you get your priorities right. So this prophecy was to the leaders. The leaders, and bear in mind, there, that's the only people who hear this prophecy, they obeyed. They said, okay, let's just read a little bit beyond that. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the lord their god and the words of haggai the prophet as the lord their god had sent them and the people showed reverence for the lord okay god was revered so prophecy number 1 was about acknowledging god's place in their lives in their nation It's about getting the priorities right. That's all. It's about a change in heart. If it's not working for you, what was it I said at touch point? You know, this is what I see. What do you say, God, about what I see? If it's not quite working out right, you say, okay, God, do I need to put you in the right place in my life? Is there a change? Is there a rebalancing required? If so, I need to do it. And God was was revered. That was the change. God was put in his rightful place. That is the way it should be. Number two. This is a short one. It's verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I'm with you. Okay, I am with you, declares the Lord. That's all it was. When the change of heart happened, God then says, I'm on your side. God caused the drought, remember? God held things back so that the people could take stock so that you and I can take stock so that when we have taken stock and said, "Ah, actually, you're right, I've, I've been focused too much on work, on family, on this that I've got to do and that I've got to do. To be fair, Lord, you're right. I knew you'd be right. Let's just... Let's just get you back in the right place. God's instant reaction is, I'm with you. I'm on your side. Thank you, Father. That's all it takes is to put you in the right place, and you're instantly on our side. Thank you, Father. See, you're on three already. It's exciting, isn't it? Chapter 2. Actually, let's read to the end of this chapter because you'll feel short-changed if you don't actually read the whole book, do we? Uh, what was it was in verse 14. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the sons of Shealtiel, our governor of Judah, and the spirit of uh, Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. So God says, I'm with you. And what do they do? Their spirit was stirred up. In other words apathy was dealt with the hands came out of the pocket it came from within them nobody was cracking the whip over them their spirit was your spirit will be stirred up to do that which god wants you to do once you put him in the right place and you hear his voice saying i've got you this is back where i want you to be i'm on your side then you go actually this is good actually i can do this I'm connected, I'm in the right place, I'm aligned, I'm firing all cylinders, you, nobody's holding me back now. That's how it works. Get him in the right place first, and then your whole attitude to that which God has co- called you to do will be released. You'll be on that warship as it's sailing down the Thames. I've got my place, I know my, my role in this battle now. I'm on board. I'm coming. You can't stop me. That's where the people were at. In their context, it was you know, bricks and mortar and lugging big stones about and all that sort of thing. But they knew that's what God wanted them to do. Hence, the joy was released there. Okay, chapter 2, verse 1. On the 21st of the seventh month, the Word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw the temple in its former glory? How do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? So saying, Some of you saw the temple before it was destroyed. Does it look anything like this? Well, no, we've only been building for a, a month. In fact, I can't even visualize what the temple will look like, they might say. We're doing the work, but it's, it's not taking shape yet. God, through Haggai, says, look with your eyes, see it. Verse 4, but now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehozadak the high priest, and all the people of the land. Take courage, declare the Lord, and work. Take courage and work. Why? Because I'm with you. That's, that's the message. Take courage. You know, the reality bears no resemblance to what we're doing here. We have not arrived. It actually took them like four years to complete the temple. So in a month, hardly anything have ha- will have happened. And God said, I know what you guys are like. You're going to give up. <laughs> when the going gets tough, you're going to need it. Take courage Work, I'm with you. And that's the message to the kingdom of God as much now as it was then. Take courage, work, I'm with you. And the work is that which you have been predestined to fulfill. And even if it doesn't look as if anything's happened, take courage, He's with you. And then you begin to see, actually. I can see this looks a bit temple-like. It's beginning to take shape. Oh, this is a wall. Oh, I can see this now. Still a long way from there. And you begin to see the unfolding of his work through your hands the way he saw it before you even started it. You begin to see it with his eyes. All right. So... You want me to learn to play the guitar? I'm just making this up. I want to learn to play the guitar. Okay, I'm learning to play the guitar. Clang, clang, chang, yang. You know, I'm still on the Burt and playing a day, whatever it is, you yeah? know. Ages me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But God says, no, no, you're going to be a great musician and you're going you know, to write worship songs and your name's going to be known. I believe that, but the reality is, clang, 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 and can I play at church? No, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> and you begin to believe it begin to think, well, I've got to, actually, I really need to try much harder because that's where I'm going. I can't give up now. That's where I'm going. And then chords begin to happen. And the songs begin to come. And they're rubbish. But you think, ah, no, it doesn't matter, Lord. It's just a few bricks. We're not quite in the right place. We're dusting it down. But it's coming, it's coming. Can, oh, yeah, actually, that was fantastic. That was, actually, somebody told me this was really good. And it begins to take shape. And you begin to think, actually, this is you, God. You've done this in my life. Because I got you in the right place at the beginning, and you said, I'm with you. Then the work, the work, the work, the work, the work, the work, the joy, the fulfillment, the the celebration of all that you've achieved, and you used little old me, it didn't feel like work in the end felt like a fulfillment of who I am or what I've been called to be. It felt like my destiny. Didn't feel like my destiny when I'm learning the courts. But it did when God said, oh, you're there. Are you with me? One month later, don't let your eyes deceive you. Take courage and work. The promise, let me come back. I didn't finish the section, did I? Verse 5. As for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst, so don't fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also, and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all the nations, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. One month into the building, nothing's happened, and God says, you do your bit, that's the work. The gold is mine. Silver's mine. The The decoration, the ornament, the glory of this That's my problem, says God. And he says the same about the the things that he's calling you. And you think, there's no way this can happen. God says, my problem, not yours. Why are you worrying about the unfolding of your calling, of your ministry, of your destiny? That's God's problem. And if it cannot happen, he is greater than that. Don't try and solve it for him. Don't try and give give him a clever solution he hadn't thought of. Right? Because he's going to have to go with plan C then. Because he's not doing it your way. And he's not doing it my way. For the, the, the glory of what he has created in you, you and I, his temple now, the dwelling of his Holy Spirit, what he sees in all of us, that fulfillment, that, that destiny, that if we but are willing to say, okay, God, that which he sees is absolutely radiant in every one of us. It all fits together. It all gels. It all works. It is amazing. We're like a well-oiled machine in God's eyes. And if it's creaking now, and some of us might be doing more than others, and others might be all doing the wrong thing, and, you know, it's all not quite right, just take courage, get me in the right place, do what I've asked you to do, Work because he can see the destiny, and you'll begin to see it as well. Okay. Number four, verse 10. On the 24th of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests for a ruling. Okay. So Haggai is saying, he's running through a little scenario, right? Let's imagine we're talking to a priest. And we want a decision, a policy decision, right here? And he says, verse 12, If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches bread with this fold, or cooked food, wine or oil or any other food, will it become holy? Okay, so you've got it? It's a little, little test case. We've got some sanctified holy meat, and I'm carrying it nice and safe, but I touch something that's not holy. Does the thing that's not holy become holy? because it's touched something that's holy. That's the scenario that Haggai is saying. And then they said, and the priest answered, no. And Haggai said, okay, if one who is unclean from, say, a corpse, touches any of these, will the latter become unclean? So opposite scenario, I'm unclean, and I touch the food or the wine, whatever. Has that become unclean as well? And the priest answered, yes, it will become unclean. Then Haggai said, so is this people, and so is the nation before me, declares the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. But now, do consider from this day onward, before one stone was placed on another in the temple of the Lord, and from that time when one came to a grain heap of 20 measures and there was only 10, and one came to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there was only 20, I smote you in every work of your hands with blasting wind, milled you in hail, yet you did not come back to me, declares the Lord. Do consider from this day onward, the 24th of the ninth month, from the day when the temple of the Lord was founded, consider, is the seed still in the barn, even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree? It has not borne fruit yet from this day on. I will bless you. Okay, so we're two months and three days later. And he goes, first of all, Says, now let's just have an understanding of holiness here. Temple's nowhere near finished. It's still rubble moving in slightly the right direction. He says, now let's just take, let's just let's understand holiness. Can holiness be passed on? Answer, no. Can uncleanness be passed on? Answer, yes. Interesting. People are thinking, what are you talking about, Haggai? Why is this relevant? He said, Then he says, you're all less like you. You're all unclean. Now, that's not the most motivational speech when you've just managed to get the whole nation into a, a, a work party, you know, and they're all geared up. He says, right, you've been doing it for two months, three, three days, you know, got some good news. You're now all, God says, you're all unclean. Hmm. He says, but you've been... You've been working out of obedience and reverence, so I'm still going to bless you. Okay, so you've been working, you've got me in the right place, you've been obedient, so you're going to be blessed. But you have been in Babylon. You've been in a bad place, and you've come back, and you are unclean. You have touched that which is unclean. Now, clearly, he then wants to cl- cleanse them. That's not covered in Haggai here. He then has to sanctify, them. he then has to consecrate the people. And that's the same with us. But notice this even without demanding a consecration, a cleansing, God still says, nonetheless, you're going to be blessed. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful? Pa- it's not salvation by works. If we ever thought it was, it's not. I will work hard and I will be a better person. Then God will bless me. It's actually, I'll listen to God. I'll get Him in the right place in my life. I'll do what He's asking me to do, and the blessing will come. Wow, it's a bit like being the parent of a child who's perhaps not totally, the, you know, in the place that you that you'd want them to be. Choosing my words very badly. You still want to bless them. The heart of a parent still wants to bless the child, bless the child, even if the child is, let's say, being an unruly teenager, let's put it that way. You still want to bless them. Yeah? You're not withholding well oh, no, until you're exactly the child I want you to be, you're not having any Christmas present or anything like that one. No, you still want to bless them, even when it quite, perhaps isn't quite there. And God's heart is the same to us. Isn't that fantastic? Thank you, Father, that you want to bless us as long as we're aligned with what you've called us to be. Yeah, you want to clean us and sanctify us as well, and you've got a plan for that in our lives, but your grace says you'll get around to that when we're ready for it. <laughs> it's not a demand, it's a joy that you'll lead us through, and you'll change us little by little as we continue to obey you and work with you. When I saw that, I thought, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. The blessing comes by getting God in the right place and working. Not salvation by works, blessing flowing out. Why? Because we took our hands out of the pockets and we said, I'm up for this. Open up your storehouse. Um, I'm up for it, God. Can't see it, but I'm building a temple. Look at me. I'm temple building, which means... I'm fasting on Thursday, and it means, and I'm going to a prayer meeting at five in the morning. No, I'm not, uh, but, and, it, and it means all these things. Oh, I felt convicted then. Did you feel that? Mm. Um, I did, I said it, yes. Oh, Lord. Okay. Yes. Hoisted by his own petard, that's right. Uh, anyway, Yo, that's, that's what I mean. When, when I talk about work, it's about the things that God says, like, you, you could do me doing that, couldn't you? It's your turn. Let's do that. Let's not complain. Let's just do what I want you to do. Because we're a body. And the body works through the efficient working of every member. That's what it says. Paraphrased slightly, but that's what it says, isn't it? We are knitted together through what every part supplies. So if we're not what God wants us to be, it's because you and I aren't doing our bit. Okay? We do our bit. Blessings come. Fantastic. Brilliant. Okay. Obedience leads to blessing. Um, And finally, number five, uh, verse 20. Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the same day, on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. So this is just to the leader. So where it started. spoke to the leader, the governor and the high priest, and now he's finishing by talking just to to the governor. I'm going to shake the heavens and earth. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of kingdoms of the nation. And I will overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and the riders will go down. Everyone by the sword of another. Verse 23. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord. And I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. They said victory is coming. He says the governor, his responsibility was the protection of the people. That's kind of what he was having to do, and, and they needed it at the time. You know, the forces were around attacking them. Interestingly, one of the biggest threats to them was the Jews that didn't go into captivity. And that awkward relationship between those that came back and those that had been there all along. And who were the proper Jews? Difficult, difficult conversations to have and it's his responsibility to deal with that one god says victory is coming peace is coming after the victory and god was going to invest him with divine authority you see this whole thing about the signet ring you'll appreciate from medieval times that if a decree went out from the from the throne from the palace a proclamation was made on a roll of parchment you know there's no point in signing it really because Who knows what the king's signature is? You say this is look the king signed it. Well, I don't know if that's his signature. It could be a forge. The thing that couldn't be forged was the ring on his finger. And so, often in a piece of wax, that imprint was made. And so, the king's seal, the king's ring, said, "Okay, this is my signature." God's saying to Zerubbabel, the leader there, "I'm going to make you my signet ring." Just take a moment. Just understand what God's saying. The signet ring says, this is the word of the king. And you've got to obey it. God's saying to Zerubbabel, what you say is the word of the king, the word of God. That is divine authority on an immense scale. What trust has God put into Zerubbabel to say, not only am I with you, But your portion of this is to take authority with the kingdom of heaven behind you. And if you say we're fighting this battle, we're fighting this battle, and I'm in it with you. That's a huge responsibility. What had Zerubbabel's part in this Haggai story been? He heard the word. He was one of two people who this unknown prophet came knocking on the door and Excuse me, Mr. Zerubbabel. Sir, excuse me, Mr. Was it Joshua, the high priest? I've got, I, think, I think perhaps maybe I've got a word. <laughs> I'm going to share it with you. I know you're the high priest and you're supposed to hear God once a year, but I've kind of got a word now. Come on in, Haggai. Let's hear what you've got to say. He says, the reason you've got the drought, the reason it isn't happening is because you've not built the temple. And Zerubbabel said, okay, I hear it, and we'll do it. And he mobilized the people. Well, basically, he just passed the word on. He didn't say, now, everybody, this is what you're going to do. No, he, he allowed God's word to pass through. What a responsibility there is in leadership to hear that quiet word sometimes that is the right word. And to deliver it, because that's where authority comes. Authority for Zerubbabel came, not because he won more battles than anybody else, or he he built the temple. It came because he heard the faltering voice, well, God's voice through a faltering channel, I guess. I don't know what Haggai was like. And he said, yeah, I can hear God in this, and we're going to do it. Kind of all I wanted to share this morning. It's a whole book. I won't do it again. But can you hear the message there? That we all have a part to play. Anybody can preach that. But through just putting God in his right place and working, saying, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm no longer a passenger, I'm a warrior. Then we unlock a level of blessing that comes with obedience. And as we continue to work, and I say it took four years, and they built the temple, and it was dedicated and everything, as Zerubbabel was, of course, a great leader, then we actually imbue authority (laughs) to achieve yet more on those that lead us. Father, I thank you that you say these things because you want to stir things in our hearts. I thank you for what you've stirred in my heart. I thank you for what you've said to us sometimes that isn't on the page or isn't on the preach, but it's your word and it speaks to us. And Lord, I ask that it, those of us, if we don't know what our place is and we're still looking for it and we're still trying to understand it and we're still not sure, Lord, that grant us the humility to come to you and say, Lord, what do you want from me? Where do I fit in? I'm no longer a stranger. I'm no longer an alien. I'm part of your family. Grant us the humility, Lord, to say, where do I fit in? And those of us where we we have a taste of what you want from us, but it's not complete, Lord, give us the grace to look at the stones and say, I can see a temple here. I'm just going to carry on. I'm going to carry on. I'm going to carry on, and it will take shape. Because basically, it's not my problem. Lord, grant us the grace to just look at the work of our hands the way you look at it, to see the end. And even if we can't, we're still working anyway.